In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I discuss the Sixers wins over the Portland Trailblazers and the Washington Wizards before diving into a little discussion about the MVP race. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. It's a rare Monday podcast for us, but uh, again, Sixers just keep winning. Monday podcast. It's not going to be dark at 5 p.m. anymore. I love that. This is my favorite week of the year. I'm so much happier now that we have sprung forward. It's actually your favorite week of the year. I get a lot more optimistic when like I leave the house at six o'clock and it's not pitch dark. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's my happiest week of the year, but it is certainly a, a, a nice little jolt in my step for sure. And then you add in the tournament, you add in the legal tampering period in football, which I fucking love that name. You add in the playoff run gearing up or the stretch run gearing up leading into the playoffs for the NBA. It is a good time of year. It's a, it's, it's a happy point for me for sure. For sure. It's a, good, it's a good sports month. I think I'm October very happy to lose the other hour one. sleep, though. I'm very happy to lose that hour sleep. Yeah. I hate the winner. Yeah, um, no, I agree. But yeah, Sixers have won five in a row after that brief little tumble there against the Celtics and the Heat. They have rebounded incredibly nicely. Like you said, you should have built them a statue there for that four and one road trip. They came back and won two straight at the <laughs> Wells Fargo Center. One game where they led by legitimately one second, but it was the most important second in the game with that win over the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, that comeback there in the final four minutes, setting up Joel Embiid's game winner, which might have ignited a little bit of talk about the importance of Joel Embiid to the Sixers. I suppose we will get to that a little bit later. And then a much more resounding 112-93 win over the Washington Wizards, which when I watched that game, I'm just left wondering how in the hell did they lose this team earlier in the season? Because that was just a game. We were just twice. talking about it. Yeah, twice. We were just talking about it before the pod where it's like we didn't have very many notes because mostly like, OK, the Sixers are better than that team. And I just don't know how they they, they lose to that team. Uh, that was it was one of those where it felt like the Sixers were, you know, they weren't up by double digits that entire game. There were points where it was relatively close. At no point were you ever worried about the Sixers blowing that. And then they came out without Joel Embiid there to start the fourth, as they usually do. Now you have James Harden there in those minutes, and they blew uh, blew that game open. Joel Embiid never came back in, ended the night with 31 minutes played. Good all around. Yeah, I, I would say from the two games, my two biggest takeaways besides Joel playing well and playing pretty valuable basketball, I would say, the uh, the lineups I thought were pretty interesting in that game because it's like you said in the in the first game the Sixers were not very good for most of it they were no. not trying particularly hard for most of it as we said they that are is the, not a that is not a particularly good Portland team either no uh, and I know it was you know everything was all about Matisse Stiebel's return to Philly <laughs> but it turned in to the Joel Embiid show at the end of it so. By the way, but, what do you like, play with? Like 19 minutes in that game? Something like that? Yeah, but he because was they, plus the Sixers 14. Put, the Sixers put Joel on him and, and just roamed off of him all night, and Portland got scared out of it. It's almost like they played some a little bit of fear-based basketball there in the second half. I don't know. He did. Uh, there's a lot of Joel as the roamer this weekend. They did that against DeLone Wright 
in the Wizards game. I like Joel as the roamer. If you yeah. just if you're willing to concede threes to one shooter, uh, Joel is the roamer. Pretty good. Like, you know, his defense in both of these games, I thought was, yeah, I mean, that the Portland game, not, not as much till the end, but the last four minutes, they locked down for sure. Yeah. And, and it, it was really good for the entire game against the Wizards. And by the way, against the Wizards, they tried on defense the entire night. And guess what happens? You win by 25. It's, yeah. You know, yep. it's, it's a wild concept, but if you actually bring it on that end of the court and, and pay a little bit of attention and look, the Wizards were, were terrible as well. It, uh, it helps. Uh, the lineups, though, stood out to me. And Tobias and PJ really struggle in that first game. So the Sixers close. They close with George. They close with, with George a three-guard lineup and George, yeah. And, like, Tobias just on the bench. Yeah. And, you know, it was not a very good layup shooting week for uh, Tobias. <laughs> just Or others. No. Uh, Although did did, did Jalen miss a dunk? I don't remember a, a Jalen miss dunk here in the last two games. I think he might have gone two games here without a miss dunk. Unless well, I'm missing he, he one. certainly hurt his hip in the. Sure, he didn't play game, for so. the, most of the second. That's true. That's fair. He definitely could have missed a dunk if he played the second half against the Wizards. <laughs> That's a lot of time against a bad team to miss dunks. Uh, yeah, so they closed with that group, and then they they win the game. Their their execution down the stretch was very good. They're Defensive execution, even down the stretch against, you know, they let Anthony Simons get off, but Dame, uh, Dame has a chance to do the Dame time thing at the end and, and they get a steal, uh, at the end to get that win. And then I I think you're right. Like Joel was really good the entire game against the Wizards, but the game was blown open when they go Harden and bench in the, uh, in the late third, early fourth. And that's, uh, that lineup is looking good. Right now, yep. you know, Paul Reed playing really well. Uh, I would like to just shout out to Shake Milton doesn't get a lot of time. I just feel like good things happen when he plays, though. And it like I, I don't think he's really going to be a huge part of the playoff rotation. But I, I would just say in terms of being a professional basketball player and, yeah. you know, taking care of your business when called upon, he, he's done a really good job of that. And yeah, so so Harden, you know, it's a step back three where he. uh pushes Monty Morris out of the way and he's he's kind of like his feet are wider than, than he should have been. I mean Harden uh, again a, another excellent performance by him. It was uh yeah, I mean look, it, I I think that what this weekend showed is that the Sixers can win in multiple different ways. Like they as much as I am worried about their depth and that they do have some one-way players for the postseason, they also have a decent amount of combinations that can work against any given matchup. If you're going to list proper two-way players on this team, Joe, I guess we'll give Tobias at like three quarters of a way on each side. I think, yeah, if we're talking. Maybe, maybe like an 80% on offense and a 60% on, on defense. But I, but I think he qualifies. He as, qualifies. Melt? Shake? Yeah, Melton. Melton. And I guess Shake a little bit. For his role, he would be a two-way player for the eight to ten minutes per game role. That's about it. Unless you're you're getting high on B ball's offense, but I'm not sure. I look, he's he's looked pretty decent rolling to the rim. I wouldn't quite call him a two way player, but out of the yeah, yeah, they they don't have a lot, and and so I think some nights it's going to call for offense, like George on, uh, McDaniel's, McDaniel's when he's making shots, I guess. We haven't really seen that yet. 
but sure. No. <laughs> sure. He, we he's will like give a, him more offense than we'll give him more offense than franchise cornerstone Matisse Thibel, but I'm not sure I'd quite call him a two way player yet. He's a theoretical two way player where like if he improves a lot over the next four years, you could see him becoming one for sure. But he is definitely someone you can help off. Like if, if Joe was playing against uh, you know, Charlotte, he might help off of McDaniels back when he was still playing for them. You could see that happening. I, uh, no, there, there's not a lot. So I think that goes to show that you're not going to have the same lineup every night. You yeah. Know, there, there's going to be some matchups require one skill set, other ones require other skill sets. And also, if a player is struggling and you only really provide value on one side of the court, then you're definitely going to get taken out regardless yeah. of the matchup. No, and I, I think that's right. I thought it was real interesting that they closed with George and Maxi and the small lineup. Like, they didn't really play defense for most of the night, and then they closed with a Harden, Maxi, Melton, George group. A little unorthodox, but they ended up getting the stops they needed down the stretch. A good portion of that comes to the fact that Joel Embiid is really good at defense when he's locked in. Uh, I thought he played really well there to close that one out, not just because of the shot. And then they come back and, and, and you saw them, again, George was on the court during that big fourth quarter run, but you saw Harden lead that bench lineup. And there's been a lot of hand wringing over the year uh, about Doc playing lineups without Embiid and Harden. And you could probably find a lot of that hand wringing here on this podcast. But something that you have pointed out before, Doc did pretty much abandon that last year in the playoffs. Went back and looked, there's only 59 possessions with neither Embiid nor Harden on the floor in the playoffs last year. A lot of that came in the two games that Embiid missed. You know, I think Doc probably learned his lesson a little bit there in that Hawk series two years ago, which is interesting Dwight, because I Dwight. thought, the, yeah, which was interesting because I thought the the Embiid Simmons pairing was a more natural one to split up because their games didn't really complement each other, and they sort of got in each other's way. But I think he he learned his lesson a little bit there, corrected it last year. I thought it was always going to be this whole minutes without Embiid and Harden was going to be a regular season thing, and I think he's sort of shown that over the last couple of games that he has veered away from that. And he, he mentioned it in a, in a, a presser recently. Uh, I think it was maybe the Miami game or the Boston game right before they went on the five game road trip that they were just basically buying minutes. So I think they started to look better here of late. Um, and I think you've seen some real chemistry being developed between Harden and B-Ball, which is, uh, which is good to see. We pointed out not too long ago that I think part of the reason that B-Ball Paul had such a bad plus minus is because he played like, I think 70% of his minutes without Harden on the floor. And when you're playing, you know, someone who is hmm, prone to trying to do too much is maybe, I think the polite way I would say it, giving him a real floor general who can create easy shots and limit what he has to do on offense. And I think allows some of his strengths to show. And I think we're seeing, he does have some strengths on both sides of the floor that decision-making especially after offensive rebounds, it seems. Offensive rebounds seem like they can be a little bit of a hectic. But I think we are seeing that he has some value he can provide on both ends, and he's playing pretty well. Harden's not yelling at him as much anymore. Uh, after that after that one series of offensive rebounds, I think maybe he did, but outside of that. Okay, but it's not every possession. <laughs> it's it not every like, possession, yes. It seems like Paul has gotten a lot better of, one, he knows when to screen. So that's pretty good screens, I would say, too. He knows when to roll, and he also now knows kind of where to space on Harden's isolations, which is usually the dunker spot on the other side, but he's starting to get, I would say, quicker at at getting to that spot and allowing Harden to 
to do his thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely gotten better. I just looked it up. Harden, no Embiid lineups on the year. What's the what's the net rating now? Harden, no Embiid. So that's any backup center. Anybody. I actually just looked it up recently. Harden with B-ball is still like a negative, but it's like a negative 0.5 or something in that range. I believe the Harden with Trez is really good, like surprisingly good. I would guess plus three. Yeah, pl- plus four. Okay, okay. And that's the name of the game. And I, I would even th- throw out those B-ball Paul stats. Early in the year, he was playing bad. Sixers didn't know what they were doing. Harden was not as oh, yeah. interesting. I'm not, I'm not making involved. a lineup decision based off of that for sure. Oh sure. yeah, yeah. But and I, and I just think the overall number that is a comfortable positive at this yeah. point. In yeah. how many possessions we at now? At 1141 possessions. Yeah. So yep. that's a uh, that's pretty good stuff. Um, yeah, no, Harden, 100%. Don't get that twisted. I'm certainly not proposing any backup center outside of B Ball Paul. Like he has to be the primary backup center. Unless you're going small with PJ. We've been pretty consistent on that. I think the last couple of weeks have shown that to be true. Uh, it is interesting because I had a big article written about Deadman and I was kind of waiting to publish it until he got his real first crack at the rotation and he hasn't gotten one yet. And I, I, look, if I have to write a big long article that never gets published in order for B-Ball Paul to be the backup center, I'm, I'm willing to take that. I'm willing to uh, sacrifice that column for sure. It sure looks like he is the the solo backup center. And you know, speaking speaking of of the the games this weekend, what what are the Wizards doing? This is like the thirtieth year where I'm wondering what what is the goal of this team? They're winning thirty eight games. It's just it's what they do. It, it really feels like, and I don't know anything about hockey. But it, it feels like their owner, Ted Leonsis, who also owns the hockey team. Haven't you so, covered hockey games? I have. Yeah, but it's hard. It's hard to write about. <laughs> Sometimes the score is one nothing, and you have to write words <laughs> about the game. I don't understand. You, you've never well covered enough. baseball, right? You've never covered baseball. I've covered baseball, but it's easier okay. to cover. Like that's no. I was just curious if, you, if you've gone four for four. I have in my. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a well-rounded big J. Even though yeah, you know nothing uh, about hockey. Which you just I said. don't know anything about I don't know anything about hockey and in baseball you can just be like Jimmy Rollins went two for four with a double you know like even <laughs> even if it's a low scoring game right uh, you know Rob Thompson pulled Zach Wheeler after six and a third yeah, and it was yeah. controversial you know what I mean it's it's I don't know it's it's much easier to follow uh, just because I think I published breaks. one baseball column in my career and I've resisted. Anyone asking me if I wanted to, and I, I put my foot down, no, because I wanted to just be a fan, just a, a big F fan. Doesn't really work as good as Big J journalism journalist, but That's okay. I just want to be a fan. A big uh, F fan. <laughs> I would I like never that. write about hockey because I know I don't know shit, and I would never write about football because I know there are really good football writers, and while I follow football much closer than I do hockey, I will leave coverage to the experts. I could probably write about baseball. Baseball would be the other one I'd write about, but I'm too too invested in being a fan at this point. I need something. I need something I can be completely irrational about, and that's baseball. You might not write about hockey, but Ted Leonsis owns the hockey team as well as the basketball team. And it kind of feels very Ed Snydery to me 
where I think his hockey team, I don't know what his ownership is like just because I don't know enough about hockey, like I said, which brought us on that tangent. But, I mean, they've clearly had success. Like, they've won the Stanley Cup like four or five years ago. And, I mean, I I don't know a lot about it, but it seems like that's a decently well-run organization. And, man, the the basketball team is not. And it's just... And they don't understand what it takes to win. They don't ever tank. Like it's very Ed Snydery to me, where they're just very happy with mediocrity and even like sub mediocrity. It's 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 kind of wild. I, I don't yeah. know. I, it felt like and watching like, it feels that like, game. It feels like every year they have like one stretch of the season where they start playing over their heads, and everyone goes like, "Oh, maybe they're back." No, they're never back. They're never back. Yeah, it felt like to me. The James and Joel could have run pick and roll two on five against them. Yeah. And they still could have scored. Yeah. Every time. Like, yep. that pocket pass was, I mean, it was there every time. And I, I was kind of wondering uh, during the game, what do you think? Harden has, you know, he's leading the league in assists. Yeah. So he, he, he gets a lot of assists. I wonder what the exact percentage is of pick and roll and beat around the free throw line somewhere. I, I think it's. Probably like 20% of his assists. Well, I, I was thinking like overall his assists, I would guess about a third of them are to Joel. But of that third, I would guess at least 60% of them are on that pick and roll uh, for that elbow jumper. Yeah, I would, that's probably, uh, that's something that we can figure out at some point. I feel, I feel like it, you're probably in the ballpark. Well, 60% and then at least 30% of his attempts are... Between the legs passes on fast breaks that yeah. and trying to end in buckets. Hasn't gotten two, got, he's gotten a couple. I, I can remember at least two. He's gotten a couple, but the, the conversion rate on that isn't super high. It's better than a uh, Jalen McDaniels dunk, but it's not super high. Yeah, so they, they just completely got whatever they wanted. And it was, uh, I don't know, against a team like Washington, they just, they're pretty helpless to stop it. And, you know, I think it's, it was the cap of, and we can get into this. You know, the Sixers had a good week for sure. They're, you know, they're still alive for the for the two seed, maybe even the one seed. I don't. Know. I, I feel like the Bucks are going to keep winning games, yeah. but but look, they, when you win all of your games in a week, you are keeping yourself alive in playoff contention for sure. More so, I think it was just a better week for Joe Embiid's MVP candidacy. Yep. To your point, they have their next game here is a road one against the Cavs. We spoke about that not too long ago, about that being a potentially huge game. I'm starting, a little I'm starting less to feel huge less. Now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're three and a half games up on the Cavs. Uh, they have five fewer losses. You win this one, you pretty much put it to bed, but they have put some pretty good ground here. Cleveland has stumbled a little bit of late, really ever since that Sixers game. And you could lose that and still hold on to the... Now, Cleveland does have the easiest strength of schedule, or at least they did a couple days ago when I looked. So I think they could, there's a reasonable chance they could make up a couple of games. I don't think they're going to make up enough to catch Sixers, and winning that game here on Wednesday would pretty much put that to bed. In terms of the Bucks and the Celtics, the Sixers are three games back of the Bucks, and they are a game and a half back of the stumbling Celtics. So there's possibly a chance. Again, both of those teams... A, have fewer games to play than the Sixers. B, have an easier schedule than the Sixers. That is certainly working against them. The Sixers play both of those teams down the stretch, right? Yep. So there's you, you take care of business, you have a chance, but it would be uh, it would be tough. It's a tall order. 
it'd be a heavy lift, but you know, look, the Sixers are winning a bunch of these games. And when I look at, you know, the schedule strength stuff, it's like, all right, Golden State's not as good as they've been. I guess they have Steph now, but Phoenix is is one of the better teams, but they don't have KD. So, you know, look, I'm not as much as I thought initially, you know, and when I say initially over the past couple weeks here, that the Sixers falling to four was probably the most likely scenario if they mo- got uh, got kicked out of that three spot somehow. I, I'm feeling less. I'm feeling more confident that the Sixers' floor is three. It is definitely three if they win this game on uh, yeah on Wednesday without Jared Allen as well. Probably, I would say. You know, I feel like an eye injury playing against Joel Embiid if you're the other center. I, I'd I'd give him the night off. You know, I'd. Let's, not sure it really matters live. all that much because he's one. Of, he falls in that bucket of players who are really, really good, just not against Joel Embiid. Agreed. That said, let's not further risk his 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 eye. You know, oh, like, sure, sure. When getting thrown around like a ragdoll, because like you said, he is very much in that bucket of good, but bad against Joel Embiid. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, they're looking better. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager so okay so and that's kind of the jumping off point because if the sixers do get up to the two seed i think that's going to help joe's mvp stuff and you know it it's kind of ridiculous that we not like one we, spot in the standing standings is going to make a difference. It shouldn't yeah we kind of and 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 more so just that we view this MVP race and it's like the national public is kind of like a horse race. You know, it's like Jokic had a great games fifty to sixty, but Joel's catching up in games sixty to seventy, and what a week for him. And Jokic missed a a wide open or uh, basically an ISO against the Nets, and Joel made his. Uh, that said, I think this is kind of how it works. And, uh, you know, I I was kind of pessimistic. I was very pessimistic about Joel's chances just because of Timmy Goodtime's straw poll a couple weeks ago. And it just felt like Jokic was, was far ahead. I don't know. I, I think Joe has probably closed up some of that gap over, over this past week. And some of it, and this is like, it sounds stupid, but it's, 
I think it's important. The fact that he comes through in the clutch, like like he gets that shot the other night. Sixers have not led the entire game. They run an ISO for him. It's funny. I didn't hate that Doc called a timeout for him because he was kind of like falling down on yeah. the initial one. I think but they got a worse Doc, shot. I think initially Doc didn't want to call a timeout, and I think he was convinced because of the way the play was unfolding. But yeah, I, I agree. They didn't get a great shot. He just made it. They got the exact same shot with like a loaded up defense against them. It was. I mean, it was definitely a worse shot, but he makes it. And, you know, they talk about, oh, James, like, cutting through, and that was helpful and all those things. I think that's a good sign that James cut through. That said, like, he ran an ISO with four guys on the baseline. He couldn't get all the way to the rim right. with that ISO. Like, he physically could not do that. So it was definitely a worse shot. No, it's, but he it's a it. makeable shot because Joel's seven foot with absurd touch. <laughs> he can get that pretty much whenever he wants, yeah. And it was the definition of good defense, just better offense, you know, yeah. and it was Nurkic did a good job contesting it. He's a big boy, but he does not jump quite as high. And, you know, it's one of those moves where, where Joe gets into it and he knows this guy's huge. He, he probably knows I'm going to get to some sort of fadeaway, some sort of spin here. But even for this huge guy, he can't block it. He, he can't freaking block it. And yeah, he might be close. But I know that I'm going to be comfortable getting this shot off. And the footwork was exquisite, except afterwards when he fell on his butt, because, of course, he falls down. But the, the footwork on the actual move was was excellent, rehearsed, practiced a million times over the summer with him and Drew Hanlon. And it's, you know, you, you throw the ball to him in, in that spot and you feel confident. One And one stat that I thought was pretty interesting, because Doc and Joe always talk about this all year. You know, we got to get him on the elbow. We got to get him on the nail. And, you know, sometimes the tracking data doesn't always show this stuff. His elbow touches last year per game, 4.4, I think it was, something like that. He's up to 9.4. Like, he's doubling yeah. his elbow touches this year. And so I think there is something to, we're going to give him the ball there the entire year. That's going to be his spot on the floor, whether he's catching the pass from James on the pick and roll or he's just going ISO. And, you know, I think it's it's the idea of like practice makes perfect. You know, you, you keep getting familiar in that one floor spot and, and yeah. that's where we're giving you the ball at the end of the game and you're going to come through. Well, I think part of it is also probably just he's playing a full season with James. Like if you would take just the games that he played last year, would his elbow touches have been like six or seven? Like I'm, I'm guessing it probably bumped up towards the end of the year. They, they have a lot more they, they uh, were a little familiarity lower. with each other. Um, yeah, look, he's unguardable there. It's been it's been really like the Sixers have been for as good as Joel Embiid was for the first four or five years of his career. He didn't have a spot on the floor where coming down stretch of the game, he was unguardable. Everywhere you could double him, you could fluster him. You can't fluster that if he's making that shot. It's it's game over. You can't fluster it. There's just there's nothing to do. Especially when you've got someone like George in the corner to make that shot, uh, there's just very limited options. His uh, and, and I think this is something that's going underrated. I am worried at all times about teams being able to switch that pick and roll, and what the hell do the Sixers do? All right, I think James and Joel are two of the best four or five ISO guys in the league. Yeah, and you know where Joe actually really shines in those numbers too, because you look at him as a scorer. It's a very good number, but it's not outstanding. Joel's ISO numbers take a huge step up when you include passes, which mm -hmm. to me is telling me that it's hard to double. If yeah. you double him, 
He just throws it to the wing and George or Tobias or whoever the hell it is knocks down the three. And so that's that's awesome because like, right, what, the, the easy thing to do for a long time was just to double him yep. and fluster him. And I don't think that works anymore. So uh, amazing moment. And yeah, like I, I think I, I have watched the, the national discourse over the past couple of, of days. There have been a lot of threads about one Nikola Jokic's defense getting upvoted on NBA Reddit and <laughs> making its way around Twitter. It's uh, I, look, I think Joe has a shot. You know, I know I think, this is I, kind I of think he does too. He does too. Prisoner of the moment stuff, but I, I, I would say like three or four weeks ago, I was like, nope, no shot. I, I, I voted for him, but I don't think he really has a chance. And yeah, I don't know. Is are the Raptor numbers going to be uh, picked apart over the next week here? Yeah. I, here, here's my one thing that bothered me with the, the straw poll. I understand. Oh, fine. If you want to like go with those advanced stats and all those things, Jokic is breaking those. I think there are definitely issues with them because they say his defense is good and his defense is not good. I'm sorry. It's, it's just not good. You just watch them. It's whatever. You can't have Joel third then behind Giannis. If you want like the advanced stats and be like, look, the numbers are overwhelming with Jokic. I'm sorry. You can't have Giannis over Joel. Like Joel is having such a better offensive season than Giannis is. Yeah, that's all. I agree. I agree. And I, I agree with you 100%. Like, which again, I feel like you and I have always embraced advanced stats, but part of embracing statistics is a recognition and a willingness to recognize which ones are faulty. That's the, the entire premise of advanced stats is when, oh, those traditional stats aren't telling the story properly. Let's try to improve upon them. And I certainly agree with you. A lot of the specifically defensive all-in-one metrics are bad, are flawed. And I think when you, you know, Jokic does two things really well on defense. He grabs defensive rebounds and he has quick hands. Even if he's gotten beat. Quick feet too. Kicks the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, he's a, he's a very good goaltender for sure. Uh, but he has quick hands, so he will generate the two things on defense we can actually reliably measure. And because of that, he gets overrated on defense when in reality he is not making near the same kind of impact that someone like Embiid is. And I think because of that, a lot of people look at it and go, well, he's the most unique offensive player in the sport, and also his defense is underrated. Clearly, he should be winning this. And I think there does need to be a deeper, I think our, our friend and former teammate, Mike O'Connor wrote a really good piece on that this past week over at rights to Ricky Sanchez.com. I would recommend go reading that. I agree with almost everything he said. You know, I've always sort of stayed on the sidelines of MVP debates, especially when it involves the Sixers. And part of that is because as an analyst, I know I've watched one player every second of every game for one player, and I haven't done the same for the other two. Uh, and that would be a little bit unfair. You know, I also feel like it's just not, to me, debating who had the best season versus second best season versus the third best season in the entire league and the best league in the world just isn't all that interesting to me. Like I've always, you know, my coverage when the Sixers were going through the rebuild was, okay, how do you get this MVP caliber player so you can build a contender around him? Actually getting the MVP award wasn't necessarily goal. It was having that caliber of player. And Joe has clearly been an MVP caliber player over the last couple of years. And then since that point, it's all right. How do you build a championship contender around him so you don't waste this opportunity? That's always just sort of like been my focus. And also because it just feels like this debate gets so heated. There's so much passion involved that it almost feels like you have to denigrate one 
denigrate one completely incredible player in order to support your guy. And it gets a little bit, you know, it just gets a little bit toxic might be too strong of a word, but it gets to be a, a tough debate, I think, to have online. So I've always sort of like, you know, taken a little bit of a step back, but I also do feel like, you know, you've got three players here who are in the running every year and in Embiid, Giannis, and Jokic, it would just be nice for all three of them to get the hardware and the recognition that properly displays what they've meant to this era of basketball. And two of the players each have gotten that, Embiid has not. Do I necessarily care too much about debating who is the best for second best player this year? No, not really. But I would like to see Embiid recognized for what he's meant to the sport over the last couple of years. Joe deserves that recognition for this run that he's on. But going back to stats, which is where this all began, I, I do agree with Mike that these stats are flawed and misleading, and especially on defense. And I think we need to inspect them a little bit closer. Um, I think Jokic just breaks everything about us. He, he breaks our brains. He breaks our statistical models. He's just so unique. And we watch that play out. And like I said, he breaks our brains because you watch it and you go, well, a seven-footer shouldn't be able to do that. And then you look at the statistics and he breaks our models because they overweight a center being able to do that. And it's, I, I think it's been real tough to properly evaluate him. I think there's a lot of people who have spent the last 15 years are going, there's more to basketball than scoring. Because for a long time, we overrated one-on-one ISO scores. And he's just sort of taken that and he is the such a polar opposite of that and sort of like the best version of the kind of player that we have been talking about has been underrated that he's now almost become, you know, I don't want to say overrated because I think he's freaking fantastic. And that's part of why, you know, I don't necessarily like this debate because I feel like in order to support one, you have to denigrate the other. Yeah. But I do think it's easier to hide his deficiencies because he breaks so many molds. There are just possessions when you, watch some of these Twitter threads where I'm looking at lobs being thrown over Jokic's head and I'm thinking like, yeah, but they don't throw those against Embiid because yeah. he'll block it. Like he'll just, he might not even get credit for a block. It'll be like a deflection, but he like uh, opposing teams try to throw it and Joel cat and mouses them and he, he stops it. And there are other chances where I'm thinking like, all right, well the guy's like laying the ball in and yeah, the Sixers have that happen to them because they have terrible defensive players as well. <laughs> uh, and Joe, even when he's kind of lazy, like makes up for it. Like he just, he, he's a much better defensive player yeah. than, uh, than Jokic is. Even as we said, like he's like taking off rebounding this year. That's okay though, but he's still better than him at it. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, that's, it's, as part of the thing too, it's like we can even, I mean, Joe can talk about how he's got a different gear defensively than he will in the playoffs. Like he's, admitted this multiple times here in the last couple of weeks. So it's almost like if the strength of his MVP argument is on defense, you know, him clearly taking half of a game off, you know, I understand why he's doing it because he has such a heavy burden on offense. But in terms of differentiating himself, it'll probably be more obvious and more stark when we do get to the playoffs and he is dialed in every night and there aren't back-to-backs. I think it'll be even more pronounced, but it's maybe a little tougher to see day in and day out because, you know, He's playing at a regular season intensity sometimes. And like you said, even with that regular season intensity, it's still worlds better than Jokic, but it doesn't still show up on a stat sheet like it would uh, in the playoffs. It's just, it's tough that you have to denigrate like 
Jokic. I hate it. I, I, I legitimately hate the way that this the, the, the and it, it, it's also <laughs> tough because it's three straight years of the same three people. So it's like there's so much animosity and and I get it because one person has never won it and the other two has. You know, if a 50-50 ball goes one way every time, like you start getting a little bit bitter about it. But I do like I I think all three players are freaking fantastic and I don't like the way that you almost have to talk about it. Jokic is averaging 25, 12 and 10 on and shooting like 63% and 41% from 3. I mean, yeah, it's I get it. He's one of those, uh, what, what do the people call it? Like the efficiency torter or something? I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, it's it's fine. I uh, And Giannis is having look, a I, down year and averaging 31 and 12. You know. Yeah. They're it's, fantastic. Uh, it's like I said, I, I, I my whole goal in team building and, and covering the sport has been they need to get one of these guys and they have one of these guys. So it's like, you know, I think Joe should I, win one and I would, be, I would like to see him win one. He He deserves one. But there's a lot of really good players. I think he completely deserves one. It's clear he really wants one. And by the way, you know, I have a group of people that I hear. They're like, why does he care so much about the MVP? Like, try and go far. It's like, well. It's not one or the other. It's not one or the other, first off. And like, when you win the MVP, you get called the best player in the world like that's a legitimate accomplishment uh to to get that some of the greatest players in the world ever all time you, you get you get on that list where you know you, you are one of them and a lot of all-time greats have never won an mvp so it's uh i think that's part of it but also i don't like everything he has done to put himself in position for mvp is also helping the sixers win it, yeah, it's also giving right. them a better chance right to get into the second round or the third round of the playoffs, you know, to the NBA finals. The reason his MVP buzz is picking up is because he's making shots like he did against the Blazers. And the reason that he's making, or the reason that I have a lot more confidence in their offense translating is because he's able to make shots like he did against the Blazers. You're absolutely correct. They're tied pretty directly. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's, I don't know. I think that's kind of lame when people are like, why does he care? I, he wants to care about that. That's fine. And by the way, I think all of them, care about it uh, like i think of course and i know there's a lot of denver fans are like oh he doesn't even care about the mvp well if he didn't have two of them he probably would care a little bit more you know and i also think when, when you're at this level and to to play at the level that Giannis, Jokic, and joel are playing at you have to be super competitive you have to be sure. you have to put so much into your game to get as good as all three of those guys are uh it's uh yeah, I, again, but I, I don't really want to denigrate Jokic because, like, like I just said, those numbers are, are video game shit. Uh, it's it's ridiculous. So I, I imagine if this remains close over the past couple weeks, we are going to hear some pretty crazy arguments, probably coming from our side more than anybody, because guess what? Joel has won one, so there's more of a push to get him yeah. to to get one. Uh and we're going to hear how Jokic sucks at defense. And we're going to hear Jokic can't win three in a row because LeBron didn't LeBron never win three in a row. I mean, I, I don't I, think know, he did. I think it's everybody since Larry Bird. And we're, we're kind of already seeing that take place. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely going to be silly season. But it's, un- <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I didn't think we were going to have like a crazy MVP silly season. But Joel was so good over the past couple of weeks that he is kind of ensured that we're going to have that because I think most people just kind of assumed up oh, Jokic is going to win and 
yeah, there's going to be grumbling about it or whatever. But because Joe has dragged the Sixers to to this level and he is playing at just such a ridiculously stupid high level that we're going to get all these crazy takes over the next couple of weeks. They're coming, well, baby. And the other reason we're going to have a lot of these takes is because the Sixers play the Nuggets down the stretch. The Sixers play the Bucks down the stretch. The Bucks play the Nuggets down the stretch. Like everybody is playing each other. There is going to be a lot of eyeballs on these games, a lot of discussion about the games and the merits of the MVP candidates. Like I said, it, it, it's just the, the tenor of the conversation is, it makes it tough to fully get in because they are all great. Uh, but I would like to, just as a basketball observer, it would be nice to see all three of them re- rewarded for uh, for MVP caliber seasons. Two of them have been, so I guess that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I would love to see Joel win it because he deserves it. He is. He deserves to have one. And I think any of been an MVP caliber player for three years. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you know, if it's a 50, 50 call, if it's a 60, 40 call. Yeah. It's like you said earlier, at some point it would be nice to see the ball roll his way. Yeah. And you know, I do think like, am I going to sit here and pick apart the fact that Jokic missed two game winners last night or that the, Nuggets have lost the ring. Like, no, those things happen throughout the course of the season. I do think you should look at the entire body of work. That means a beginning, middle, and end. But uh, I think any of the last three seasons could have been coin flips, and this one included. And I would just like to see it with a coin flip. Joe's direction once. I think he's put in the work to earn that. I would also like to see a, the, them make a deep playoff run. Like you said, it's not, it's not an either or. And for Joe to really tie up his legacy... Winning an MVP, getting to a finals, I think both of them are crucial for his long-term legacy. You mentioned it, but I, I don't think we can really understate the importance of that game in Denver in a week and a half. Yeah. Or is it a week and a half? No, probably two weeks. Uh, yeah, about two weeks yeah, exactly. Actually. Two weeks from today. Yep. I, I think if Joel goes out and kicks his butt and the Sixers win that game... I think it's going to be pretty hard for uh, for voters to look past that because he kicked his butt twice. It's uh, I, I, that's going to be fun, man. That's like I don't think we really had in in recent years. I know the game in Philly last year. A lot of people hyped it up. It was in March, I believe. Of course, Bones Highland makes all those threes, so it's not exactly represent representative of like Jokic killing Joel. I don't, I don't think that's what happened there. But uh, yeah, I don't think we've ever had like an MVP head-to-head matchup this late in the season that can actually carry some legit weight. So well, and it's I am for the Sixers, very excited for that one. That is the final game of their four-game road trip. So that is right at the end of that trip. A tough spot to be in. But then again, Denver plays Milwaukee two days before then. Their, their, their last game before the Sixers game against the Bucks. So that is going to be two high-pressure games for Jokic and the Nuggets. It's, look, yeah. for... End of season a lot of times doesn't have a lot of juice. This end of the season does. Because the Sixers go from Phoenix. All right, Phoenix, Durant won't be playing. Maybe not quite as much. They trade a lot of their depth for Durant. Should be able to. That game is not going to be as tough as the schedule would look like. But then you've got the Nuggets. You've got the Bucks a couple days later. You've got the Celtics right after that. That's a, a real good stretch. If all of those teams have something to play for, and it might be far enough away from the end of the season that all of those teams will still be trying. That's a that's a great stretch. And look, the Sixers right now, they, they we've talked about the stretch in March all season long, and they took care of business here at the beginning of that tough stretch. So you should have a lot of confidence they can do so here in the, the, the latter half of March. But this is still like this 
seven road games in eight, seven out of eight on the road <laughs> is just, it's craziness. It is craziness. And it's like, look, I am confident in both Joel and the Sixers to be like, they're going to be fine at the end of this. The, the, the floor is not going to fall out, right. but it just, it's, it's hard. It's like, I don't, I don't want to downplay that four and one stretch. I don't want to downplay like it's, it's not easy. And you know, not all of these games are tough. Like after the Cavs, yeah. you've got the Hornets and the Pacers. Like okay, Bulls we, too. Yeah, like there's a, a soft middle part here, uh, but the two ends are pretty tough. It's uh, it's gonna be hard. You know, it's funny though. One of the great ironies of Joel's career, though, is that, and, and I'm, we're watching it during this crazy stretch right now, is that you know the guy who I, I always remember the Memphis game was that 2016. I guess it was his first year. Remember they played Memphis at home and the game went into overtime. And they hit his minutes limit, and they they went even a little over the minutes limit. Might have went to like two overtimes, and then he kicks the chair because the and I I wasn't um I'm, I'm forgetting who the the team doctor was at that point. I remember just looking at him, just like yeah, the guy's just in a suit. Might have been Christopher Dodson. Might have been like the guy. I don't know, but whatever. Whoever informed him, hey man, you're done tonight. I'm sorry, like or whatever. For that guy who could only play 20, 25 minutes to start, who didn't play back-to-backs until what, midway through his second well, year? remember at that point, like they were limiting him to like five minutes stints at a time, which when you look at it now, he's playing a full first and third quarter pretty much every night. One of the great ironies of, of his career is the guy who started out as, you know, they were very careful with him and they were spacing out his minutes. He is such a rhythm basketball player to the point where he plays his best basketball when he has played eight games in a row, nine games yep. in a row. Yep. And, and I get it. Sometimes his energy isn't great, but in terms of his, like his skill level, he's like, he's just sharpening it even more. And when he gets into such a rhythm, his jumpers start going in, yep. uh, his passing gets sharper, all of those things. Now, look, th- there's a balance at some point. He just gets too exhausted and then you have to sit him down. So I'm not saying like, don't rest him once in a while, but it, one of the great ironies of his career is that he starts that way. And actually, he ends up like playing 18 out of 19 games pretty regularly here in part because once he hits the eight, nine game middle, the middle part of that stretch, he always plays awesome. He just keeps yeah. running off these 35, 40 point games and we are there right now. So uh definitely think he's probably going to need a couple more nights off the rest of the year, but uh I, I'm certainly not too worried about him, you know, continuing to play heavy minutes because you know, obviously there's always a worry of injury for him, but in terms of like the sharpness of, of his yeah. game, it's it's perfect for him. They have 15 games left. They have three sets of back-to-backs in those 15. You would think maybe he plays 13 out of 15, two nights yeah. off. Um, and that, you know, maybe one of those nights is the Hawks, second last game of the season, something of that sort. He has is, played... Uh, is, 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 is 67 games enough for an MVP? It usually isn't, but I don't know. Jokic has only played three more games than him. So, and I think Denver has also played a couple more games than the Sixers, too. So I don't think Jokic's number is going to like. One more. He's going to dwarf him. So, you know, and I know he plays a bunch of minutes, too, but he's taking some nights off, too. So. Yep. Yep. That, that, That really does like. Joe might only end up with 67, 68 games, but he really hasn't outside of that stretch earlier in the season, really ever since the beginning of December, he hasn't missed more than one or two games in a row at pretty much any point. 
Uh, so he's, he's, he's done good in that regard. One other good piece of housekeeping after this MVP conversation, because kind of got lost in what was a juiceless game last night. Joel got asked about his defense after the game, and he just slipped in. Well, I'm healthier now. So that's a good sign, right? Like the guy mm-hmm. who's been battling the foot issues the entire year didn't want to play in the freaking All-Star game because he had played so many games in a row. For him to admit, well, I'm starting to feel a little better now. Yeah. That's why my defense is starting to pick up. That's, no, a month uh, ago, he was like, I need a couple weeks off. So if that's gotten good without a couple weeks off, that is that is important. So for him to volunteer that, and look, we're, we're veteran Joel Embiid talkers. You know, we've, we've seen him say he a lot of interesting things. Point, he doesn't miss an opportunity to point out that he's beat up. So if he's saying that he is feeling good, then he's probably feeling good. Yeah. So when, when Joel isn't feeling good, he'll say, I'm fine. But it was a longer than I'm fine, which means he's probably feeling good. If yeah. you're reading Joe's answers <laughs> and frankly, just watching him out there with the energy on well. defense, yep. he's moving very well. So that's great. Yep. I agree. I agree. All right. I think that is just about all that we have. Rich is about to not about to, cause they don't play until Wednesday, but Rich is heading out there to Cleveland. So we'll probably talk to you again later on in the week. Thank you, Rich for jumping on and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.